And then a few minutes later, she says my name again. And I was like, oh my gosh, mom. And then I was back two days later visiting her and we did whatever we did during our visit. And every time I get ready to leave, I give her a smooch and I look at her and say, mom, I love you. She looks back at me and she says, I love you too. Are you ready to tap in to your power within so that your business can reach its truest potential? Hi, I'm Candace Haza, and I help business entrepreneurs access their inner GPS so that their business can grow and thrive. You are here to serve and to create an impact in this world. Welcome to the Intuitive Business Podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. And I have somebody here that we're going to discuss a very tender subject to my heart, and it's dementia. And so we're about to begin, but I really want to introduce my friend, Wendy Darling, which is such a darling name, right? (laughs) (laughs) So let me tell you what Wendy's been up to for the last 40 years. Wendy Darling leads the Miraculous Living Institute, which is an institute for personal and professional development of organizations. She has had 40 years of experience as a management and organizational um, influencer. And she's also worked with corporate and done relationship and transformational work for all these beautiful years. And so I just wanted to introduce Wendy. So hello, Wendy, and thank you so much for being on. Yeah, of course. You know, this is a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts. So I'm grateful that we're going to be talking about it. So Wendy, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to go into the conversation and talk about, we both have family members that have dementia. And so we'll, we'll pull that all out during the podcast. You know, basically what you were saying is it's hard to believe, but I have had my own business for 40 years now. And I did start out more in the corporate consulting world, but after a very serious accident, I began to open up and cultivate what is now the miraculous living method. So I'm able to find anything interfering, getting in the way of of the results people are wanting, and we close that gap easily and quickly. So I'm blessed. I work with entrepreneurs to grow their business and make more money. I work with singles to attract love or couples that want to replenish their relationships. I've worked with youth who are challenged either with a learning disability or some other emotional issue, as well as women who have been abused. And the bottom line is I help people really remove anything that's getting in the way from living what I refer to now as your divine destiny. So you're living a beautiful, rich and fulfilling life. Well, I love talking about rich and fulfilling lives and you know, this is going to be gently moved into this next topic. So I have a beautiful mother-in-law, Josie, who's been my mother actually more years than the mother that raised me because, you know, I lost my mom when, when I was 35. And so my mom-in-law, Josie has been my mom for about 20 or 37 years now. And her, both of her parents had some struggles and especially her mother had what they thought was dementia. And she hated that so much. And her biggest fear was that she might have dementia and 
as life had it, she ended up getting dementia. And so this, I think is a subject that so many of our listeners may be needing to talk about, and it might be a pain that's living in their heart. And so Wendy, your mom has also been diagnosed with dementia. So I want you to talk a little bit about your journey with your mom. Like when did you see her, her decline and what's been the progress for you and her? Yeah, actually, um, my stepfather also had dementia and their journeys, I have to say, have been different. Whereas I I will say as Ted's dementia, my stepfather's dementia began progressing. (laughs) In his case, he got nicer and nicer. But what was, was also fascinating, and I noticed this with my mom as well, the things that still remained active in the mind. So he might not remember things, certain things, but I could get in the car with him. I would be driving and he would be my navigator. He would know exactly where to direct me. And then, and then if we'd be at a restaurant, he could look at the bill. He was a very successful business person. He could look at the bill and immediately know how much tip to add to the bill. And in his case, his dementia did progress, but he passed away from cancer. My mom's journey has been very different. It's now been, oh gosh, probably at least nine or 10 years that she started, she started to notice that she was having a little difficulty remembering things. My stepfather had already passed away and it was already a couple, three years after that. So she did have some cognitive testing and they did feel that she possibly was showing very early symptoms of dementia. But it was probably five years ago. She had also, by the way, attracted another guy into her life that was living with her, 82, go figure. And- (laughs) Well, it's a miraculous life. (laughs) Yes, you've got that right. And- I went to see her and I had already spoken. I have two sisters and I had already spoken to them because I said, there is going to come a day that our mom is probably going to need some kind of extra help. We need to start talking about how we're going to manage that. And I have to say, neither of my sisters at that time wanted to have that conversation. And I think that's very common. I noticed my mom with my stepfather, there's a phase of denial and she would get so agitated with him. I've already told you three times, you know, and I would look at her and say, mom, he doesn't remember. Just accept it that you're telling him for the first time in his world. So there. Well, I want to just stop there because I want to put some pauses because I want to talk to the audience. So the first thing that Wendy is sharing with us is to invite the family members to have a conversation when they notice that something is like becoming difficult to have a conversation with all the siblings, because usually then there's all these you know, components of finances and, you know, who's the executor of the will, because one of the things that I've found is if you miss the opportunity before the doctor says it's too late, 
if somebody hasn't been designated to sign over the finances, they physically can't write checks and go into bank accounts. But there is a window of an opportunity where we can get another family's member's name on an account to help with some support as their journey continues. So thank you for, for that. And thank you for the pre-frame about how you were sharing with your mom. Hey mom, you know, when Ted is struggling, it's literally the first time he hears this. Yeah. I think patience is probably the strongest muscle that has to get developed because early on people with dementia don't really realize that something's different. I have a lot of compassion for that because I've recovered really well from a traumatic brain injury. I know what it's like to live in this world versus what other people are experiencing. So I've had a little taste of that. And, and so a couple of things that were important early on, you mentioned one, you know, my mom did take care of things legally where all, all three of us, I have two sisters, all three of us have power of attorney, medical power of attorney. She took care of everything. So those kinds of things were already in the mix. My mom actually took this initial step to say, you know, I'm not feeling as good as I had been. And so in her case, she actually took that step. Now, a lot of times people won't recognize or want to admit to things are different. It can be very unsettling for a lot of people. Let's talk about some things to look for um, with family members, because I know like with my husband's grandmother, what she did, and none of us realized this for many years, is she had a glass tabletop. And what she, I don't know if she had grandpa do it or pop-up do it, but she had all the family pictures organized. So like Tim and his siblings would be by John and Josie. And sometimes she would like joke with us. Oh, like which family are you part of? Like, look for your picture. And so for us, it was a game for many years. And of course I didn't know her in the earlier years. So she must have already at that point had some struggles. So what have you seen? Cause you were so closely involved with your, your mother. You know, there came a point in time that I went to visit. And remember I said prior to that, you know, maybe it was two or three years prior to that. I don't remember any longer. My sisters didn't want to have a conversation. Well, I went to go see my mom. I could tell something wasn't right. You know, I just had that sense. And I also could kind of hear it in the way we were communicating. When I got there, she was in her recliner. In part, she was having trouble with sciatica. So she was in pain and her live-in boyfriend just didn't seem to be able to do anything about that. And I was shocked. I was shocked in her state, her lack of support. And that's well, when I called my sisters in and I said... We got to do something and we have to do something now. So I want to hear more specifics beside like, we got the recliner. We got that she wasn't supported. She was having some pain and she didn't have support from the guy that was living her. But you said the state, was there a hygiene state? Was there, you know, it was cluttered and it wasn't cluttered before. Like talk me through 
the sensations and the visuals of things that we should start looking for. Yeah. So in her case, she was still in her bathrobe when I arrived and it was late in the day. So she hadn't. And my mom was always the kind of person that got up, got dressed, probably went for a walk. You know, she was very active. And so to find her like that was shocking. And by the way, a really good friend of mine, dad, she just recently moved him here to San Diego. And she was telling me, and he just, he's in earlier stages of dementia. And he is resistant to staff telling him it's time to take a shower. Okay. He doesn't want to take a shower. It's like, who are you telling me what to do? So different people respond differently. I'll kind of fast forward. So I told my sisters, you know, it's like Houston, we've got a problem. And my youngest sister came in, my youngest sister's a doctor, she agreed, you know, that we needed to start taking action. She actually wanted to take my mom where she was living at the time in Seattle. And because I had just gone through years with my stepfather and my mom, and all of that, I went, may the force be with you. So we found a place for her to move into. And quite honestly, in our case, we lied. We used her sciatica as an excuse to get her on a plane to go to Seattle because my sister's a doctor. My mom had resisted getting an epidural and we were not calling it an epidural, but it's like Eve knows the best doctors in Seattle and my mom loves the best of everything. I mean, it was truly, I just want to get her out of the door and on the airplane. I couldn't even think about what was going to happen once we got there. And I mean, that's a slight exaggeration because we had found a place. And at that point, she only needed assisted living. And we found a place. I bought the furniture. I decorated. We got her out of the home. There's even a little funny incident that I won't bore you with now as we were leaving from the boyfriend, but he didn't get in the way. And when my mom got to Seattle, walked into the room, she thought she was in some little shishi hotel. And, but she said, everybody looks really old here. (laughs) (laughs) The thought process was your mom had some sciatic pain. You knew that she was not performing like she did. She wasn't getting dressed. She wasn't taking care of herself. And so you put her on a plane, put her to Seattle with your sister, but she actually was moving and she wasn't aware at that moment that she was moving. That's right. Um, Yeah. She just thought she was there for tests and she did get an epidural. It went great. She got wheeled out. She said, well, that was easy. You know, my sister (laughs) and I just kind of looked at each other. I spent a lot of time in Seattle and then it really did come. Two things happened. First of all, they were telling us that my mom was probably going to need to go into the next step of memory care in the not too distant future. They were seeing the decline. She adapted to where she was beautifully. By the way, she got involved with another guy. (laughs) (laughs) That little stinker. I kind of, what's your mom's first name? I like to. Yeah. um, Her, her real name, her birth name is Gladys. Her maiden name initials were GF, everybody, her nickname's been Jeff. 
And the only time I ever heard Gladys was when my grandparents would come to visit or if my dad was upset with her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I want to just really unpack this for people that are, might be listening and they're starting to wonder, they might be right about where you're talking about. So I really want to unpack things slowly. So she goes and she flies to Seattle and they're already saying she might need more extensive care. What, what are some predetermining factors between where she was at in this nice little, like you said, cozy, comfy, she thought she was at the highest and the best. And then what were they noticing to take her to the next Yeah, she was needing more cues to remind her where she was going. She would get disoriented, maybe just going from her room on the elevator to to a meal. Um, Some more cues were needed, a little more guidance and even assistance and care was starting to be needed. And she wasn't quite as engaged as she had been. My mom actually was a very social person. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) She she must have been very pretty and very vivacious to attract men uh, at the age of 86 and above. So I, I seriously, I, there I was in, in Seattle with her. She just had her, she had just had her epidural And I stayed in big chunks in Seattle during those early weeks to just ease with the transition. And she transitioned beautifully. So we're sitting in the dining room and I would occasionally introduce my mom to people and get them starting to talk. And we happened to be sitting next to this man who was a nice looking man. And I introduced my mom and myself and they start talking. Now this is two weeks in from her leaving Cincinnati to go to Seattle. And I'm doing this. And now I am texting my sisters. I'm saying, unbelievable, two weeks is all it took. And sure enough, they were flirting with each other. And (laughs) so I want to stop the podcast for a moment, just to tell all of you women that are out there that are like 50 and 60 and 70 and saying, you know what? I'm just too old for a new love that this lovely woman, Wendy Darling's mother went from (laughs) relationship and then another relationship in the nursing home. And uh, so let's set our standards really high that we can find love in any shape or condition. Let's have the standards of Jeff. (laughs) The standards of Jeff, you know, actually candy, it's my mom who inspired me to write my last book create your miraculous life, it's never too late. Because first of all, I wrote my book last year in the height of the pandemic. I was 69, rapidly approaching 70. So that whole conversation was very real for me. You know, there's still a lot I wanna experience. And, and, and yes, last year was a bit challenging as for many people, as well as my son became really sick. But that whole thing, of it's never too late. My mom attracted multiple men in her 80s. My mom also, by the way, went back to college in her late 40s, early 50s, and started a career in social work in her 50s. So she also taught me not only it's never too late for love, it's never too late for a career. And truthfully, in my world, it's never too late for anything that's in your heart. 
So I want to talk about that for just a minute. So what age do you think that we can't have sex any longer? Cause that might be an important question because you know, your mom's like, something's happening there with your mom, right? She's <laughs> my mom's dementia is extremely advanced, but I'm telling you, she sees a good looking guy and she still perks up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's never too late. Even when little, never, you know, we get to, there. we get to say, you know, if you have a connection, if you have that urge, there, there's no ceiling. I think people kind of give up or dry up or whatever we want to call it when they stop connecting, when they don't share their hearts or find new ways for connection. I think that connection piece is mm. so, so important because, you know, in the early stages of a relationship, hormones can take you for quite some time. But then it's like, how do we find each other physically and emotionally and spiritually? And I think that becomes a real important piece. And I think that's why a lot of relationships, you know, don't do well, because who teaches us? Who has taught us? much about relationships at all, much less how to keep love and connection alive. It's so important. And I think that's even part of why I have focused so much, not just in assisting people to attract love, but what are you going to do once you got him, him or her? And it was my learn personal learning curve. Because even though we're talking about my mom, in a positive way, it was not always that way. My mom was tough. She was critical. She was abusive mentally, emotionally, and physically. And it was me that that was my growth path. And it was me that transformed my relationship with my mom. And so I think learning, you know, I've worked with thousands and thousands of people in all aspects of relationships, whether it's the relationships within an organization, the team, or in the personal side. It's been my learning curve, you know, assisting others, because as you know, in your wonderful gifts of what you offer, we learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really wonderful. So my mom truly, whew, the lessons were not easy. But I'm telling you, she was my number one teacher in the lessons of life and love. Mm, that's so beautiful. Wow, this conversation has gone in so many beautiful directions, honestly, right now. Uh, thank you so much. I, I love the heart-centered connection piece of, you know, when hormones kick in when you're younger, but when they kick out, and that's the reality, we don't have as many hormones when we're you know, in our fifties and well, I, I was fine in my fifties. <laughs> I just turned 60. So, uh, well, I just turned 70 and yeah. I want you to know <laughs> I'm taking after Jeff. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have, I noticed that the importance of connection, you know, if I'm not feeling the connection, it's like the hormones don't engage as easily. For me personally, that's something that I have to work with, with my sweetheart, you know, to take the time and thank goodness, you know, he's at least willing to listen to me. 
I know that this is a podcast, but I just want to talk a little bit about Wendy is, is a very beautiful woman. She kind of right now has her hair fixed kind of like how Diane Keaton usually wears it with about that kind of color. Uh, She is a lot softer face than Diane and equally gorgeous and very well shaped. So I'm sure that like, she's really taken good care of herself. And I can imagine if Jeff had done the, if she was doing the same that, you know, (laughs) that that's where the attraction, she's just very they're very beautiful women. They have really great genes. So for a moment, I just want to take a little pause and talk about the relationship that you're talking about before we go back to the conversation completely about dementia, because now we're sort of talking about something a little bit different, which is connection at an older age and how we make that work, because this is kind of all part of this whole conversation is about aging, honestly. And we, as children of parents that are aging, it used to be called the sandwich generation when you still might have a child to take care of, and then you have a parent to take care of. But now we're at an age, you know, um, I'm 60 or 70 where my children are pretty much grown. And so there's still potential care that might need to occur with a parent and a child, no matter how old we are. 70 years old, Wendy is a child of Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been interesting because given who my mom was as I was growing up and now being fully responsible for my mom because what I didn't mention is about nine months into my mom being in Seattle, my beautiful sister announces that she really wasn't planning on staying in Seattle and that she was going to look for a different position. She, and she did, she decided she was gonna work for the World Health Organization in Geneva. And I do recall, (laughs) she doesn't listen to this, um, but I do recall saying to her, I'm gonna say this one time, but I'm gonna say it. It sure would have been nice if you would have mentioned this a year ago, when we completely uprooted our mom and changed her life dramatically. Mm -hmm. Because what I will say, Candy, is when I moved my mom here to San Diego from Seattle, it was a much more challenging transition. I want to put a pause right there because this is a hugely important piece for dementia patients is the one thing I do know from this whole transition with my mother-in-law the quicker that you identify that this person has a bit of a challenge, it's easier to place them into an environment where they can make friends and relationships with people in their facility as well as staff. Because for people like my mother-in-law, she was so active. You know, she went to church every single day. She walked down to the church she was still feeding the homeless at almost, I think she was in her eighties in her late eighties. I had a picture come up on my phone the other day of when we all went. So she was feeding the homeless in her eighties and then to transition a person's life into a structured institution, really you're placing people into an institution that's a huge challenge. However, if you can get that window, there's a very gentle window while they still have enough organized organization in their mind 
at least they can make connections. If they don't, that is a whole nother thing. And that's where Wendy is, is taking us right now. So she was established. They were saying that she needed a little bit more care in Seattle. And then her sister moved. So we brought mom, Jeff back to San Diego. And now it's a difficult transition because she's really confused. Well, and a couple of things too, that I think is really important. If you feel at some time, maybe you may need to get a family member into assisted living or memory care, do your homework now. Because you typically cannot say, oops, I need something. Beds and rooms may not be available. That's what happened to us. We used the same company that my mom was at in Seattle. We reserved a room. I said, listen, you know, we're not quite ready to move her. My sister wanted her to stay in Seattle until she left. I said, but I'll pay for the room now. And they gave it away because also the regulations of California, I had no choice. I could not keep my mom in assisted living any longer. I had, because she already had a diagnosis, I had to move her in memory care. And so this facility had two sections of memory care. The higher functioning side, they gave away her room. My mom had to be placed in the lower functioning side, which was too much of a gap. I thought my mom was going to kill me. In fact, she told one of the caregivers, I'm going to kill my daughter. And the good news was that we were on a waiting list for another facility within just a couple weeks. I talk about the heaven supported us on this one. It became available and I was able to move my mom there. In fact, we walked in and my mom said, oh, this looks nice because it had a homier feel to it. The other place was very sterile. But even in those circumstances, you know, my mom was 10 minutes from where I lived. The place is amazing. She started having adjustment issues. So she started to having sundowner syndrome, which is very common for people with dementia. And for those that don't know, as the sun goes down, people will, may become agitated or mm -hmm. disoriented. My mom became both. And so for a certain period of time, they did have to give her a little bit of medication to just ease that transition. It was temporary. It was not a lot. It wasn't like she was totally out of it. She was not. You know, also, I, I was able to go and did go to see her at all different times of day. I really started to see how they operated. I got to know the people there because we have to be advocates for our family member because they're probably not the best person to be advocates for themselves. My mom stopped talking. I don't know how many months ago now, but sometime this year, I mean, it's been progressive the last couple of years, but now, I mean, it's very rare if she has anything come out of her mouth. Let's, uh, let's talk for a moment about care right now in nursing homes. I know we're skipping over a whole bunch of steps and we may go backwards, but I really do want to talk about 
Oh my goodness. This is so painful right now to talk about this, but you know, before what Wendy was talking about is she could go in every single day. She could see her mother. The same went for all of us. You know, we could come in on Sunday, we'd take mom to church and she had some normalcy of what, you know, was normal in her life, which was attending a church. And on, on a Sunday, that was really important to her. We don't have that right now at all. And we haven't for over two years. And I can speak from our family. We went from mother-in-law that would sometimes forget things, always knew the rosary, never forgot a song in the church to being a very different personality and really struggling. And it's so painful to see. So I do want to move a little bit forward to talk about where we're at with the, with nursing homes. And I'm not slamming any nursing homes, so please don't hear that. But they have shortages of staff. They have different regulations. Some require their staff to get shots. Some don't require their staff to get shots. Now, remember, these are helpless people that are like infants, literally. They don't have any ability to make a decision or to have an opinion. And they could get infected from the outside world. And even if everybody had shots, they potentially could. But I have a whole lot of issues about nursing homes right now, not for what they've done. I think that they are a great institution, but for the regulations and the, the non-regulations right now, like what is happening? So tell me. Yeah, this is, this is very, this part is extremely timely for me. So first of all, it has been noted that too many people that have been in some sort of elder care have shown a significant decline during COVID. They're not having connections with family. Now, my mom had already been at this facility for two years, so I knew everybody. I knew the routine. I knew the quality of care. That probably saved my personal sanity because I was only able to see my mom for a period of time with FaceTime. And here my mom is practically not able to even talk. So, you know, it, it really was challenging. I want to stop for a moment to talk about FaceTime and Zoom. Now there is research out there. So one of the things like we were thinking, oh, great. You know, when we have like a holiday or when we're all together because she couldn't come out of the nursing home and we couldn't go in, we decided to do a Zoom call and the nurse would come in. She'd set up the call. It was the most confusing thing to her mind. Mm. So I wanted to speak about that for those of you who are coming up with solutions. They have a memory challenge and it's almost a delay. So they can't process quickly and computers do not help their processing. It's very disorienting. If more than one person would happen to talk. Uh, the other thing is she was thinking that her youngest son looked like a 20 year old when he's now 50 year old. And there's, so she was confused to, as to who she was even looking at at sometimes. And she wasn't even that bad in those moments. Mm -hmm. So I just want to share with all of you, if you're thinking, well, gee, why aren't they responding to me? Or why aren't they engaging on a zoom call? Remember their mind zoom and phones like this, they're still in the rotary mindset, literally. 
if they're in their 80s, they they might have not even had a, a phone. I mean, Josie even said they didn't have a bathroom when she was a little girl. They had bedpans underneath their beds back in the day. Now she's 90. And so they lived kind of in the country on a farm. Now, of course, they eventually did get a bathroom. And but so imagine that mindset with a Zoom call or an Apple watch. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, they were probably more for our benefit than mm -hmm. our parents or whomever that might be. And yes, it has been really challenging. You know, I'm I was grateful that I knew the people who were caring for my mom. Mm -hmm. However, now oh, about 6 weeks ago, we came back from a trip. We had a family wedding that we went to attend. I come back and I get an email, an email, mind you, from the director of her memory care unit saying, "Our mom, my mom is going to have to be transferred to skilled nursing. There was no ramp up. There was no warning. I, you know, we had talked about that there might become a time that my mom would need additional care. So first of all, I was a bit shocked. Secondly, when I found out what was going to happen, because they also had have skilled nursing on the same property. However, because of COVID, I'm not allowed to go in. Mm -mm. So I don't know these people. I don't know how they treat my mom. I don't know their care, nothing. And my mom, can't speak up for herself. I'm not even sure to what extent she's even aware of, you know, just the other day. We've had to have some meetings because I've noticed missteps from as an outsider. You know, and I said, I know that you're challenged. I know this is what's happening. And at the same time, I really think you would benefit if you could help orient us the family members better because it's very unsettling not knowing anybody. People would just wheel her. I could see her. They could wheel her out and I could take her outside, but nobody would even tell me who they were unless I asked. And so it, we're in the very early stages of this. Now, I will say my mom seems to have transitioned way better than I have. But there have been things that I've noticed that aren't right. And they should be very standard operating procedures. Well, I want to talk about that from a different perspective. And, you know, this, is, this conversation to me is absolutely heartbreaking all the way around with the added factor of the COVID stipulation. So I want to bring everybody forward honestly, what Wendy and I were talking about was peaches and cream compared to where we're at right now, not just with the dementia, but with elderly and nursing home care. So my mother-in-law was in this beautiful facility. And once you hit a certain level, they don't have the skilled level or whatever that next care. Once you get to a certain point where you need somebody to bathe you and you need to make sure in case you need to be prompt to to eat or something like that, that's a whole different care level. And so what I hear Wendy talking about, and I want to make a comment about it is this, the second place that we put my mother-in-law is a beautiful facility 
Berksheim, which my father-in-law loved. He was a deacon in the Catholic church and he wanted to do his placement there. And so he always went there. So there's some sort of peace in our hearts. However, with that being said, these people that are wheeling people up and down, they're volunteers and there's not enough of them. So if you're retired and you feel safe and you're of able body, this might be a huge contribution to the world to make because we often aren't even allowed to see our mother because there's not enough people to bring her down and we're not allowed up in the building. So just to give a preframe of how sad this is for families, my one brother-in-law, there's five boys and he lives in Arizona and he came to the area and he made three back-to-back -back appointments. He got to one, somebody had COVID, they canceled the other two. So he hadn't seen his mom in quite a while. And now he will not potentially see his mom for quite a while. And there's no options to see your family. That's heart wrenching. And the point I wanted to make is that I don't really know that it's the fault of the home because they had to bring in the national guard just to help supplemental care because there's not enough employees right now. No. So this is really, the, our elderly right now are sitting in the most vulnerable chairs that they can ever be in. And those of us who love them cannot even monitor their care. Yeah. I think that that's the part that bothers me the most. You know, I'm a very patient person. I'm, I, I'm an extremely rational person most of the time. And I, I, you know, the day that I moved my mom from memory care to skilled nursing, I just broke down and cried. I was, I have to say, I'm accepting that my mom is nearing the end of her life. Quite honestly, I am praying that she will go to sleep one night and just go into internal resting because this is no longer living as far as I'm concerned. And it's very frustrating. You know, there were some things that happened this week that individually, they weren't all that many big deals, but when they got stacked, it was a big deal. It showed that my mom was not getting the care that has been promised to us. And I hate to make it about money, but we are spending a lot of money to give my mom the care she deserves. You know, first of all, during COVID, I was emailing the director of her memory care unit and the assistant director and the CEO. In fact, it allowed the CEO and I to develop this really sweet relationship. It wasn't intended that way. I was just acknowledging how challenging it was because they were doing so much to try to keep their residents safe. And they were very successful for a, a very long time. In fact, they had maybe just a couple sprinklings of staff that got COVID. And then one day I did get a call from her and COVID had entered my mom's building. In less than a week, they went from six residents to having COVID to 18 of the 24 and six staff members. 
And at that point, my mom was one of the 18. But I will also say, I don't know how this woman does it. She and one other resident were asymptomatic. Yeah, that's what my mother-in-law had it as well. And in the very beginning, and one of the things, if, if somebody is on the bridge of dementia and they do get COVID and it's asymptomatic, there is still possibility that that will pivot them really deeply into dementia. And that's kind of what I think ended up happening. However, the second thing was these quarantines. Can you imagine these poor people? They're super confused. They've been moved from room to room. Like you, you get the skilled and then you have to move into something else. And then, and then they're by themselves in these rooms that are quite small. Usually the facilities are absolutely gorgeous and the rooms are gorgeous and they had singing and ice cream and food. And now all of a sudden there's no activities. They can't take them outside. They can't leave the room. Uh, her phone was broken for a while, so we couldn't call her. She's confused of how to use her cell phone. Where's her charger? We didn't move her. Who knows what they moved with her? And that is when things really, I felt declined. And honestly, I do just want to make a, a kind of a societal statement is I do think that we need to figure this the freak out before anybody else goes down this journey because they really were truly the most affected in our society so far. Uh, I'm sure that there's going to be other things, you know, that we're going to see as time moves on and their care is extraordinarily expensive anywhere from 3,500 to 5,500 to $7,500 a month. We're paying 14. Right. So, so think about that as a family, like what precautions do you want to take for investments? What do you want to do? Is there, uh, there's policies that you can take out to more fully support uh, somebody with this type of care, but the finances are something that my brother and sister-in-law, God bless both of them. They handled all of these finances you know, what do you give when, what happens with the money? Where do you move it? When, when does she run out? When does something else kick in? And then none of them can talk. My mother-in-law can't talk. So sometimes they'll invite them to say, but this person needs to contact us. They don't have the capability to contact anybody. We barely do to get in touch with all these systems. So there's a lot to think about. Um, if you're listening to this as a family, and if you haven't, as a family, discussed this, I really think that this is a 911 responsibility, even if none of the family members end up with dementia. But it is something that I believe I want to talk with my children about now. And, you know, it, we're talking about dementia, but it could be anything mm -hmm. that somebody needs long-term care. You know, John, my sweetheart, his mom is 101. She's, Does she have a boyfriend too? No, that's probably part of her problem. Uh, <laughs> she, she is quite, she immigrated here from Italy, both she and John's father. So John's first generation American. She's mean, you know, she's, she's very mean spirited, but she, li she lives by herself with a part-time caregiver. 
Now, poor John is overseeing all of this and he he's 71, he's wearing out. He just, because she's not even appreciative of everything he does for her. And on top of it, you know, he she's refusing. She's like, you promised you would let me stay in my home. And he's trying to kind of gently say, you know, you're 101, mom. The stats on you living another 20 years, it's possible, but not highly probable. I do want to comment on her personality because whether it was like this now or not, people do go through some very, very serious personality changes. Now, my mother in law, she literally, honestly, she was like a saint. Uh, she helped people in hospice. She worked as a librarian for, I think, 40 years. If there was a kid that was going to receive Holy Communion and no family member showed up, she would act like this was her kid. She'd show up, she'd bring them a gift, she'd celebrate with them. And, you know, there was a little bit of a personality change. Right now, she's back to very complacent, compliant, very soft spoken. You could barely hear her speak, but I do want to talk about one cute little thing about my mom-in-law and then we'll, we'll go back to this, but I had recently written my book and my husband sometimes would get to go see her and I couldn't because he might've got a Thursday morning appointment and I had a client. So it was heart wrenching not to be able to see her, but one of us could at least get there. So he went and he kept saying, mom, Candace is writing a book and she would kind of perk up to that conversation. So I made a decision to sign one of my books to thank her for, you know, being my mom for 37 years. And she's such a great mom. And, you know, she's a mom-in-law, but like I said, to me, she has been a mom for 37 years. And so I wrote in my book, you know, some sweet little thing. And can you believe, so help me God, that woman took the book, she opened it, she opened it again until she got to chapter one. She kept turning each individual page and she usually like, there's not a lot of cognizance sometimes. And she got to chapter one and she went, Hmm. And she just sat there. And my first chapter said, Haza hears a who. And I said, mom, it's like Dr. Seuss. And she just, she closed the book and I had brought rosary beads and, and a flower or something. And she she closed the book and she set everything right on top of it. Just like, I'm going to take this all home. And she usually didn't do something like that. So it was just such a sweet little gesture and something that, you know, I'll always hold that moment dear in my heart because things are different now with communication, but their personalities do change. That is one thing. And they might've been super nice and they might not. Fortunately, it would have been heart wrenching for my mother-in-law. Uh, Cause it was always one of her fears. If she would have been, you know, an angry person or something or hurtful, oh my gosh, but she's not. So thank you. That's really wonderful. I'd love to share something that happened now a couple of months ago. I was with my mom. And then as I mentioned, she, she doesn't talk anymore. Her communication is with her eyes. Sometimes laughter, laughter has been her form of communication. And this one visit, I, I'm, you know, I tend to read to her or we go look at pictures. I do a lot of life reviews, reminding her about her life. 
And she likes that. You know, I talk about, you know, I even said, so mom, you've had three primary relationships, a fourth kind of sort of, and, and they've all, they're all waiting for you in heaven. How does that work? Who do you hang out with when she <laughs> transition? You know, do you, do you take turns with dad and then Ted and then Calvin or, you know, it's like, but this one day, <laughs> you know, I, it's like, listen, when you're, when you have an audience and you have to entertain, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Some of the things that even come out of my mouth. And so this one day though, I'm visiting her and I don't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden she says, Wendy. And I'm like somewhat startled. And then a few minutes later, she says my name again. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, mom. And then I was back two days later visiting her and we did whatever we did during our visit. And every time I get ready to leave, I give her a smooch. And I look at her and say, mom, I love you. She looks back at me and she says, I love you too. <gasps> and honestly, I blogged about it because, and I shared in my, what I wrote was, these were miraculous moments. And I have to say, Candy, and I even just get chills sharing this. It sparked me to start interviewing people to share their miraculous moments for inspiration. And, and once again, my mom has led me into this beautiful space. And these interviews, these stories have been so inspiring and wonderful. And I know you've got a gazillion of them. I mean, one of them's in my book about your son. And and so I think what I want to just conclude to say, find ways like music a lot of times for people keeps the memory going. That's why a lot of times they'll have music from the era that our parents were from. You know, life reviews, photographs, um, stories. It reminds me what was the movie that I have probably seen at least 10 times, <laughs> um, The Notebook. Where, where the woman in the story had written out their love story. And James Garner, who played the husband, reads to her the story in hopes that she comes back to him because she, had, she too has dementia. And every now and then she'll return for a short visit. And then she goes away into her other way of of living with dementia. Well, I think we really came to a really beautiful full circle moment with your mom saying that, you know, that she stated your name and said, I love you. And, you know, it's, it might be something to choose to do today. If you have a good solid mind, maybe you should call your mom <laughs> or your dad and just say hello to them and spend a little time with them because the times get really precious very quickly. How many times have you said, I love you and think that you can say it again and, um, and receive it again. And I think that's the hardest thing about dementia for me is they're still here, but they're not. So, but I really want to say that, you know, this is a, a very hard topic today to talk about, and it's been sitting on my heart 
to create a podcast. And I'm just so grateful that it was Wendy and I sharing it together. So I, from the top, the bottom and both sides of my heart, Wendy, I just would like to thank you and for you sharing your mom's journey. And we gave you all a lot to think about. I hope you took notes and I hope your family takes an action plan of just in case, just to be safe. Yeah, I, I really think it's important. Do your due diligence now, way before you might need it. Because I'm one of those people that I like to know what I might need and instead of having to scramble. And I think it will give you a lot more peace as we all age, you know, that when you have a plan, you know what you might want to do or need to do and figure out there are people, by the way, that assist in finding assisted living homes. There are people that can assist you in, find, in knowing what legal steps you need to take to prepare for a day. Maybe you won't need it, but better to be prepared and not need it than to be met with the unexpected and not know what to do. So thank you for listening today. And thank you again, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope that you feel more connected to your power within and that you take action from the guidance here today. For more information, please head to CandiceHaza.com where you will find more resources to help you and your business grow to the next level.